Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. Guys, this is one of those conversations. You know when they talk about directors, movie directors, it's like, well, they make one for them, one for themselves, right? One for the studios, <laughs> one for us, one for them. This is both because this is the conversation that like I get to be a kid talking to two <laughs> real life friends of mine about topics I love, psychology and Christian heavy music. And I know that the audience also is interested in those topics. And so this is like the win, win, win of you have permission conversations. Uh, we are talking today about what I'm just going to call Christian heavy music. So this would include punk, ska, hardcore, post-hardcore, metal. Spirit-filled um, hardcore is on that list. Spirit-filled <laughs> hardcore, right? Okay. Uh, any That whole world, you know, um, obviously people think of Tooth & Nail Records, but there are other – it's not all on Tooth & Nail. 
And I brought today with me Crispin Mayfield and Matt Carter. Crispin is the co-host of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast, also a therapist. And he did a whole season called Shame Core Records, which, come on, what a name. Uh, <laughs> a season of that podcast where, Crispin, you basically looked at this through the, the lens of psychology and attachment and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. um, the stories that we tell ourselves as young people sort of soaked in that environment. And the, in, the interaction between that music and the evangelical larger culture out of which it came. I don't even want to call evangelicalism a subculture anymore because it's, it's just like a culture. It's so big. Uh. And then Carter, you have been the host and I guess primary researcher for the Labeled podcast, which started as basically a, a thing about tooth and nail, but turned into really kind of an an archival project of mm -hmm. researching the origins, the the meanings, the infrastructure, the how and the what and the who of Christian heavy music from the 90s and really starting in the 70s and 80s to today. And then you recently played the Furnace Fest reunion and mm -hmm. a lot of, in, in talking with you and listening to you talk about that, a lot of that work kind of got this fresh new layer of lacquer where you got to kind of compare that experience to everything that you had been uncovering. And so I just want to kind of hear from each of you about that. And then we're going to have a very organic conversation because I think we're going to have a million things to talk about. We could probably go for three hours, but we're not going to. So that's the basic gist. And uh, Crispin, I'd like to start with you. Can you give us First, we're just going to talk about the role that this music has played in our lives very briefly, because I want to keep a lot of time to talk about the the meat here. So, Crispin, what is your personal sort of story with interaction with Christian heavy music? Yeah, so I, th I think for me, it actually was tied a lot to my like fervency for Christianity. And so even like moving beyond like Christian pop punk and being like MXPX is like lame, you know, Extol is like talking about like real theology and they're like heavy music. Um, and so I think that's where it came from. For me, it really was like rooted so deeply in my, like in my evangelicalism of like trying to take it really seriously, but also just like having a lot of emotions and wanting to express those. And um, what's kind of unique to me about my experience in the scene, quote unquote, is I was a missionary kid. So I was actually just downloading stuff on the internet and listening to it on the other side of the world. I periodically got to go to shows when we were on furlough. But I think that also explains a lot of like my approach to this music, because in my season of Shamecore, I focus a lot on lyrics because for me, it was like sitting in my room with headphones on reading the lyrics, not necessarily like being at the concert um, where you can't tell what anyone is saying. That is, yeah, what, <laughs> which is where the angle comes from, really, of, of diving into those lyrics so heavily, where I'm sure we all had friends who liked this music that don't really know or mm -hmm. really particularly care Right. You know, they know it's Christian or something, but they're not d delving into the lyrics. I, mm -hmm. I, I think I remember there's an anecdote of you. Did you have a bunch of handwritten uh -huh. lyrics that you had put on your wall and stuff? Yeah. 
Yes, exactly. Yep, I, I like hand wrote the lyrics. I like singed them with paper in the <laughs> bathtub, like to make them like look really edgy. You like know, old maps. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's and that yeah. was like how I decorated my room in this apartment in the middle of China. Uh, so, yeah, it's wow. definitely a a unique uh, perspective. So that's awesome. Wow. All right, Carter, give us your your brief story with Christian heavy music. Don't throw that word brief at me. I will, <laughs> you I'm gonna must. Try. I will try. Um, I think this is a really cool ju- the way you've arranged the conversation because I'm already just reacting to Crispin's emotional connection to this and the meaning and the lyrics and the focus. Like that's just what's coming out of his mouth already. I'm the opposite of that. I don't even still know the lyrics to anything. But since I was a really little kid, I've been obsessed with. How does that work? What is that? How does this work? What is this? Like, that's just, I entered the world with a tremendous amount of energy um, that way. And I have this thing where I'm just, I'm always attracted to whatever's the most interesting, fascinating, you know, I have some, I have a lot of metaphysical questions and I found a distortion pedal when I was in, you know, about 16 years old. It was the most exciting thing I've ever been in the room of when I saw that orange pedal get clicked on and the electric guitar come out and and you know that was in the from where I come from and how boring everything was that was the most exciting thing in the world to me high energy fuzz whatever ecstatic stuff and also I've always been obsessed with the f- philosophies and religions and like what are they they're talking about something really crazy too so those two forces for me have always just been what is this stuff what does it mean and so i just kind of always have been on a quest to understand music and what's really out there and what's really going on so naturally this whole world to me is just where i just am and inevitably will continue to be so through that i like played i you know was able to learn guitar and play and be able to contribute that way and figure out how that kind of works and then you're in these dynamic groups of rock bands and other rock bands and then there's labels and scenes and you start to realize there's a whole movement or something like what and all of a sudden you know i've just been immersed in this stream and so it's just but i'm always saying wait is this a story what is happening here what's going like this is all something what is it but nobody seems to really know you know and then we've seen uh, in a parallel way the spiritual side of everything be so weird and go into such a weird time and then there's the deconstruction movement and so there's the interplay between those two is just continues to be fascinating and when i i try to get a grip on what it is the most so i do things like labeled to just try to study the other groups and the other people's minds that to try to figure out what this is, you know, and, you know, I didn't fit in in school or the normal systems. I know I'd never have a regular job or anything like that. Um, but it's always this outsider stuff that ties it together in this way that even Christianity has that, like, we're not of the world we're this other thing where we're trying to put something together. And that's what I grew up around that religion part of that. But it's, I think I believe in collectivist, positive, sum, decentralized, organic networks. That's the word. I wrote that down this morning just because I was trying to think of what is all this. That's what I'm interested in. That takes many forms, churches, families, like new technologies, rock bands, you know, or that's what they are. There's something magic that everything can work together to do or something like that. And so I'm just trying to understand it. That's that's what I'm up to. It's awesome. And of course, you, you play in the band Emery. Mm-hmm. Emery was on Tooth and Nail Records for a long time, and so you've. I think there's an Emery 
Emery is a subject of one of the Shame Quarter Records episodes, mm-hmm. actually. I think we said nice things about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I haven't no, listened actually. to that episode yet. It's easy yeah. to say bad things and good things about Emery and then bad Christians the same way. It's also some network experiment, like uh-huh. openness thing yeah. that's same yeah. in the same vein. Very easy to say negative things about both my band and podcast and communities yeah. and everything else. So I'll People have heard me talk about this in a few uh, spots, so I'll keep mine really brief. But my interaction with Christian heavy music it ha- has lasted for since I was 14, 13 or whatever. I got into I first got into Christian ska around 13 and then Christian punk at 14. I joined my first Christian punk band, Permanent Holiday, at age 14. I was kicked out within the first year for not loading the gear enough at shows. Which is like the most dance story ever. Uh, it, anyone who's ever played in a band with me will very much relate to that. And, uh, you know, the v- version of Christian punk and and secular punk that I got in high school actually accorded quite well with what I understood about Jesus, especially in the Gospels. And so I have an early kind of a punk rock Jesus thing going on that really still informs a lot of my values and and faith commitments. And then fast forwarding, I was in Sherwood for 10 years and we were not on Tooth and Nail, but we almost signed a Tooth and Nail. We were choosing between them and MySpace and we had a lot of Tooth and Nail bands that we were friends with. We co-headlined, came on those tours. We toured with Reliant K, you know, so that has just been, I've just been in that world, at least one foot in that world for really most of my adult life. Uh, And that's kind of my interaction with it. I still listen to a lot of that music. I, I love the, the labeled podcast. I've listened to almost every episode and I'm a patron actually. I encourage people to become patrons of the labeled podcast. Anyway, so that's my interaction. Where should we start? I imagine one of you has some ideas about what the other person said already. Yeah. Well, I have a question. I mean, I know what I am actually interested in here is you guys are psychology people and stuff like that. So I'm kind of more interested in that. How do you put those layers in? And you talk about attachment and stuff like that. Like what? Like that? I, I'm I'm a, interested in human and child development as a yeah. topic and attachment. I love those. So the way that that ties into this conversation, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I'm really tuned up to. That's a great place to start, Crispin, because that's kind of your that's your right. Bailiwick, yeah. Right, as yeah. Well, I was going to say, I want I want to share a bit about what I observed, like think reflecting on this. But I'm very curious about Furnace Fest mm-hmm. and reflections there. So but yeah, I'll, I'll just explain like where it started with me thinking about this. So, you know, I listened to this music when I was a kid, a teenager. And uh, a few years ago, I was like, I'm going to listen to the first Nodes of Ranvier album, a metalcore band on uh, Face Down Records, I think started out there. The lyrics go like, I don't deserve to rest. I must serve my God till my knuckles crack and bleed. And I was thinking about, okay, so, (laughs) you know, what kind of relationship is this with this God that says, like, I just need to be served. Like, you're not allowed to rest, Uh, which, by the way just really contradicts all the teachings in the Bible around Sabbath. But I I was just kind of looking back at these lyrics and what I found was there are all these harmful theologies uh, that are just kind of like in the background of the evangelical church. 
And what I found with all these, it, maybe it was just the bands I really was drawn to in general was they were putting that into words. Um, so I'm thinking of like Under Oath, The Changing of Times, uh, Dallas in there talks about like, I hate myself. Like one of the things he says is hold me close, wash my mind, destroy the me that lives inside. And so mm-hmm. within this attachment framework, that's like a parent that says like, yeah, I want you close, but like, I don't want you to be you. I want you to fundamentally change who you are if you're going to get close to me. Yeah. And our attachment system, right, is like, I need connection. So I'm going to do whatever I can to get that connection, even if it means kind of like hating myself or uh, trying to become someone who's totally different. And so I just started looking at it through these, um, this attachment lens, or, you know, I think about the first album by Dead Poetic, where he, he talks about, I want to see your eyes. I want to feel your love, right? It feels like a worship song. And then he says, which hand should I cut off? And again, it's this piece of like, I mean, Jesus says that, but as a teenager, you're like, what do I need to do to get close to you? There's something fundamentally wrong with me that needs to be changed if I'm going to get close to this God that I really want to be close to. Mm -hmm. And and I think about as, as this, like now I'm an attachment based therapist and I think about uh you know Brandon singing will you be there to take my hand and take me away in this like quiet part of this the song and I'm like isn't that like what we all want we just want to know like we're gonna be loved we're gonna like God is gonna be there for us like when we need God uh, we don't have to keep striving to get close and so I th- it just brought up and then you know you get into like acidies burn and thinking through you know a lot of their lyrics like I'm a monster I'm horrible and I was like these are all things that that were like you've heard in a sermon somewhere or you've heard inferred somewhere but then you have like these bands of kids that are like teenagers or early 20s like saying the quiet part Mm -hmm. loud. So it's not, I'm not saying like, oh, like this is like, they're doing bad theology. I'm just saying like, this is like an an experiment, not an experiment, but like a qualitative study of like, what are the messages we hear in the church? And, And my theory was like, as long as you don't talk about drugs or sex, then you can say whatever you want. And you can say things like, I hate myself. And people are like, yeah, that's kind of weird. But one, you're screaming, so we don't know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And two, like, oh, yeah, that 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 does sound Christian in some way, because these are the actual messages that we get in the church. So, yeah, I think that comes from a, like the very specific conditions of how the parenting probably went and the and the church stuff really made up this fertile ground for this movement mm-hmm. is kind of born out of because a bunch of kids that couldn't sit still you know right. that that are they have problems they get labeled for stuff um mm-hmm. you know and right. and they're into all kind of weird, weird stuff and they take dark they understand that there's some bad problem and mm-hmm. the church tells them that and depravity is you know right. human depravity is like and you get you get into that and then but also they're energetic and powerful people mm-hmm. who who li- like have natural aggression and stuff like that so now you have this inner badness that you can use your aggression on mm-hmm. as an outlet for the aggression you can yeah, use right. it on you have a place and it's safe and it's celebrated mm-hmm. somehow and other people are attracted to that and it, and there's a big vacuum of that because everywhere else is like 
cookie cutter clean seems right, like the exactly. world feels so clean to you that mm-hmm. you you know so it all kind of makes sense um and then the wildest part about it is you feel when you're a band dude or doing this stuff you know you're shitty and it's like it's a low it's i mean you feel low status in a way mm-hmm. like the movement is like floor sleeping and van it's not we're right. rock stars you know it's got this other ethic to it of lower yeah. self-esteem kind of thing and then it's the shy kid but when he's on stage he's powerful and he gets to be the power it's this nerd they're technical on guitar they extra arrange songs like they can play better than other like it's all these things you know so it's this rejected thing and then and then you get to go into this evil zeo sounding stuff that you can just <laughs> do and feel and it's okay and it's actually creative and it, you know so all that happens but the whole time you're thinking, well, but we're just the dumb kids. The church is good. The church is what's ideal. Mm-hmm. But, and we, we, you know, like it's like we're over here to the side goofing off, but they're doing the real thing over there at the mega church. That's the, mm. that was the position, everybody. And, and then, because when people stop, playing in bands they go to the church or the, well i'm gonna i'm gonna grow up now and go do this other thing so then i literally assumed when when touring days of sherwood were winding down i remember thinking well i mean the only real job i can do is i'll, I'll get a job at a church and yeah. i'll be a <laughs> music director i mean <laughs> now at 38 looking through all the other things i've already done for a living and the ideas i have for the future, like I can't believe that I thought it was limited to that. But I guess my argument is if even I thought it was limited to that, probably a lot of people thought it was limited to that. Mm-hmm. I'm not a very self-limiting thinker. It just did generally like I'm I'm I resonate more with you, Carter, in the sense of like, all right, let's try something else. Let's that's boring. Let's try this thing now. You know, I want to yeah. throw in, though, another element into this conversation that I think is especially true in the teenage years and that I think of as like a multiplier and that is sexuality and that means purity culture because of the Mm -hmm. time and place that we're talking about so the Craig's brother song going blind came to mind Mm -hmm. I pulled up the lyrics Mm -hmm. so it's this super black and white super really yeah multiplied kind of a thing the lyric here is that I'm thinking of is crown of all creation bane of jealous angels She's nothing more to me than food for a fantasy. And then later mm. her value is lost. And that that's like a very, very black and white way of thinking of. And by the way, this is not even pornography. This is apparently like a bikini photo. Okay, <laughs> She's on a mm. beach in Maui. Her breasts are half uncovered. <laughs> okay. He's not watching like hardcore. really specific. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's Maui. It's specifically Maui. No, but like. It's not even – oh, and I, I, can't, I try to stop myself from staring at her butt. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, – Or staring from, at her. That actually might be a B-U-T. When, when, what, when was Craig's – when was this album? This is – I want to say this is 98-ish. I, I, okay, it's within a yeah. couple years of that. I mean I, I think that Christian Hardcore you know, was really popular because it – goes along with the advent of internet pornography <laughs> that's my theory that's, that's the a gr- that's the fuel in the core of the reactor right. to that's like, what yeah. i'm saying you know? so what's the shame right. about like why am i evil mm-hmm. well as a 38 year old if i think if i think i'm evil it's like mm-hmm. oh, i'm choosing you know my own free time over my son and my wife when i'm 17 and i think i'm evil mm-hmm. it's boners right like that's the <laughs> right. reason i'm evil and i'm wondering like i'm wondering what you guys think kind of the the multiplying effect of that is so there is the theology crispin you're mm-hmm. talking about like there's this sort of reformed theology 
that is completely soaked through the culture. But like mm-hmm. you're saying, Carter, what's the fuel in the reactor? I think it's largely sexual shame. Mm-hmm. And that's what too. makes us think that the reform theology is true because we have a mm-hmm. natural experience of all this sexual drive. And then we are told very consistently that there's really no outlet for it. And so mm-hmm. I must be shitty, basically. That's part mm-hmm. of what gives it its edge to like not only compete, but have even a deeper, like it's it's more, there's more, when it's really expressed well, genuinely, like not, you know, because Christian music has the reputation right. of being bad and behind and not as good. But mm-hmm. if you can get the best musicians trying as hard as they can and get by into their fiber of their being even another level, they can, when the name of the game in, the, in this era of emo music is like really getting, really getting yourself, in, you know, to that place. Like that's really mm-hmm. the commercial value of it as well. And it comes from this. So it's like, it's weird, right. like there's a, you know. But that's that's part of the specialness of the product in the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you hang out in some of the like Christian heavy music Facebook groups, uh, there's a couple of them where people are always talking about porn accountability and and stuff. And I think it just it just fits. Yeah. And I think that it's it's just so true. It's like it did feel edgy. It's what, you know, CCM yeah. wasn't talking about. But yet it was still positive to better yourself. Right. Like it, st- it wasn't well, like being- And that goes back to that piece of like what I was saying about like, yeah, like I, you know, Reliant K is especially like, you know, their early stuff. I remember thinking like this is so like boring and like not significant compared to like, the, you know, this is like music that's talking about porn and like, you know, yeah. this yeah. real struggle. And and so I think it really, yeah, it just, it really when there wasn't a, you know, there were some books, but when there wasn't like a discipleship curriculum, you had your like tooth and nail records that you could listen to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, through, through, I don't know, second year or so of college, like all my accountability groups and small group stuff with guys was still ultimately about whether or not we were looking at pornography. I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the same for 19 year old Christians today but I mean, I just think back to youth groups and, and and talking with friends who have been youth pastors too over the years. Like the sex talk stuff is where you get the real fire. It's where you get the guys to finally open up emotionally or break yeah. down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like it is it's a kind of a cheat card in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so that does make me think that it's got a real it must because. Well, so Crispin, here's my question for you. Like, yeah as a therapist thinking about attachment and all that stuff and, and, and dealing with, I don't know if you do you work with teenagers in your practice. Uh, not anymore. I did choose between couples and teenagers and, okay. but anyway, <laughs> okay. But you, but you have some, you have some experience. Yeah, there. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a, there is a tough question, which is like, what do we do with this natural teenage angst? Some of which is completely biological and hormonal other of which is like social teenagers are like learning to be little adults, you know, like there is something, a real natural fit with kind of heavy music and heavy music with a message, especially for mm-hmm. these more fervent kids, which that word of yours really connected uh-huh. with me. I was a fervent Christian right. as a young person. I don't know. What do you think about, there is a kind of a natural issue here of like, what do we do with all this? And is this a good thing to do with it? Generally speaking. 
I I think you know you you're pulling up lyrics. I I was like I want to pull up some lyrics. Um, <laughs> Two can play at that game. <laughs> so this I mentioned Extol earlier. They have this song "Time Stands Still" and it's about how I I keep on you know lust dominates again. I keep on failing, and uh, he says, "How much can you take?" Of my weaknesses, I'm desperately aware. Do I even dare to repent again? Why would you endure the pain? And so, you know, it also makes wow. me think of uh, that Supertones lyric from their first album. Like, every time I fail, I know I rail another nail straight into the wrist of Jesus. And so I think, I, you know, I don't know. There's that question. Like, what do we do with teen sexuality? But what we can start with is that <laughs> even if you are sinning sexually that does not mean that you are torturing god like, you're killing god <laughs> yeah right like you're not getting to this point where god's like yeah i can't take this anymore you keep on you keep on masturbating and like i just this is so painful for me to watch and that goes back to that attachment perspective of like do i have a stronger wiser other who can look at me and say I see you're struggling. Like I see that you are feeling totally overwhelmed with life. The way that you're coping is at least if you can escape into pornography, like then you feel okay for a while. And that totally makes sense to me. And that doesn't mean that it's not like hurting, you know, I, I can't say that's such a big question. I can speak to like in a marriage where your partner does not want you looking at porn. I can say, yeah, that's going to be hurtful. But I can also say, yeah, like you need some care. And in these lyrics, it's all about God. It's not about the person, the person mm -hmm. that needs care. Yeah, I think it's very attachment types thinking related. And I think it's worth pointing out in the whole scheme of things, another situation where the fuel in the reactor is the same dynamic as Mars Hill. So I was a part of that for, just for another, uh, you know, decentralized, positive, collectivist movement. This one went wrong. And that is the story on the other, you know, on the rise and fall my, is telling that story pretty well, in my opinion, that but it started out, it felt like a good collectivist thing. And then it went the other way. Mm -hmm. But that was the fuel. And the dangerous part of that was it's like you're not being a good figure like a parent or whatever when you aren't there for when people need help but because you tell mm -hmm. them that they have to deal with that on their own like get your shit together like that mm -hmm. you know so you both raise in a status there lower the other person and you're not you, now there's a separation where you this you have to handle on your own like mm -hmm. and that's not that's not good parenting i mean that's not good anything and right. so that that shows up in their you know, I think it in that same way. Right. Um, yeah. It's like I you have to get it together. You have to be clean enough uh -huh. to get close to God. Right. Yes. Yeah, lazy. I mean, you know, but it's powerful, too. <laughs> you know it's what I mean? So, it's dangerous. I keep thinking about this idea of like, what are you doing? You're torturing God as, as being yeah. kind of like the most intense claim maybe imaginable. Like uh -huh. if you want to motivate someone to say that doing the opposite is to torture the creator of the universe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, who holds who's dangling the keys to their everlasting life or torture. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of makes me think, like, is is this is Christian hardcore basically an inevitable consequence of that theology? Like if you imbibe that 
How mm-hmm. else can you express exactly. it other exactly. than to fucking scream mm-hmm. and have get the loudest amps you can and right. hit the drums yeah. as hard? Like what other uh-huh. like any right. CCM right. song, awesome. any rock, any mere rock and roll song that's trying <laughs> yeah. to express torturing God is not going to and cut it compared yeah, right. to hardcore. It's right. Yeah. It's right. It's right? right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just go. You, you have this ability to just. But that's the beautiful part about it. And I'm, this is the real positive sum. The real beauty in it is. Yeah. It becomes kind of self-aware in the process, and then the, you can write lyrics like like there's that literal thing you're saying, like the lyrics, and the, but you you know you can almost fall into that old trap of saying the lyrics are at the level where they're supposed to be taken literally, but not really. Mm. Like Zayo you know, is at some point trying to sound as I'm not saying they're a Christian band now, but I'm just saying they even back in the time where they were being spirit filled hardcore were self aware mm-hmm. enough to be trying to sound as evil as possible. Not mm-hmm. you know, like it is it's an it's a, there's a self awareness in like jokes and embedded jokes where you're still getting to express that and you see it in fantasy metal and so I mean it's like it's mm-hmm. we, we know it's make believe to even be this dark, but it helps us to get awareness and talk about it. so it's really it really is healthy it's right. not it's well, not all just like yeah, even if you're adaptive. writing the song you know yeah right yeah I, yeah I love it because what you're saying is like yeah what happens when you have a bunch of evangelical kids that are brought up to be biblical literalists <laughs> reading yes <laughs> like now you're Christian reading the hardcore. lyrics but the lyrics are they're they're playing into that same like of course it's right we'll write a song that says we're right. actually killing god that you can be self-aware and be mm-hmm. doing that and it coming from your you know, like that's how art is. Like that's like, the best oh, directors, or what? I mean, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, going this beyond. You know, this is this relates exactly to one of the things that we do with people in therapy. Sometimes, though, is we have them play out a yes. scenario, yes. something mm-hmm. that is a f- scary to them. We go, all right, well, let's yes. let's play out mm-hmm. that tape. Well, okay, then what? Then what? Mm-hmm. Then what? And it's kind of like these bands. What they did was they said, all right. I'll see your theology and I'll I'll raise you an embodiment <laughs> of that theology that is aesthetically accurate to it and let's play that tape out and let's uh-huh. try that for a couple years and see what happens. Yes. And then it gives people it gives the kids an mm-hmm. outlet for that and and you know like Crispin at one point you took that stuff quite literally. Mm-hmm. But now you don't and I wonder if you think that some of that was like was it good? Like there was probably mm-hmm. a part of it that was unhelpful mm-hmm. and encouraging bad attachment style or anxiety yeah. or whatever. I know for me it interplayed with my anxiety for sure. But is there also an element of it that is ultimately helpful that you got to play the tape out and and like see yes. that it didn't it didn't <laughs> well, end up know, working? You know what I, I I what I'm thinking about though, like and like I said, with with the podcast that I did, it was focused on like Crispin as a teenager. Right. And so many of the albums that I focused on in the series were the first albums of people Um, like dead poetics. First album, Acidies burn first album. Part of that is just, I think my age who I was, but you talk about Zayo and like, of course they were mature enough later on to like do that sort of thing. I get the sense that like, you know, thinking about some of these albums, I think people were, I think they were writing in a literal yes. way. Yes. In a but, mo- like a moment in time, though, for yes. that. Yeah. And that's what Dan said that, you know, that to play that tape out, though, because those that's the that's the crazy part is you are not your art 
And that's right. the hardest, most dangerous thing of all is that you worship the artist or, or make it. But, you know, I really do reject that that would be, for instance, perpetuation of like I, I reject that that is in itself perpetuation of purity culture in that it is reactive to and on a progression of and the person that wrote that gets to continue his journey and reflect on that in as a process mm-hmm. from which everything can really be seen and learned. So, do you know what I mean? Like it's not you right. wouldn't go back and edit it. Right. Well, and I think to. I mean, That's it the just, beauty of it. Right. And it was what it was at that time. Yeah. You know, I think about like Brandon Reich, I think was like 19, maybe, you know, at most, you know, like, so this is just like, these are teenagers trying to make sense of their world and putting that into their art. And you see this drastic, I would say overall, like a pretty drastic shift, even between first and second album. Like, you know, you, you think about like Dallas and the changing of times lead singer of Under Oath. And then switching over to um, Maylene and you're like totally different. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think for a lot of people and even like having done my own music, sometimes it's just like there's that angsty like piece of art that you have to do. And then you're like, yep, I'm done. Like, I'm ready to move on. It real, And that was how I sort of approached this is like if this was art therapy (laughs) and we're just trying to understand like, what are the themes we see here? Like what's being expressed here? Not, not what's being taught. Cause this, these, again, these are like teenagers or young adults. So I'm not looking to say like, let's hold people accountable for the music that they, you know, I, I want to hold, you know, I want to hold John Piper accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's different though, right? (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's different than a 19 year olds. Yep. Yeah. And what these, what the each is claiming to do is what is Mm -hmm. key, how they're presenting themselves, how Mm -hmm. they, how they interact with it over time. And the fact that it's declaratively art and coming from a position of counterculture. I mean, it's very different. And it's, it's primarily like them saying, this is my experience. They're not saying, Yes. this is your it's experience or should be it right. is not mm-hmm. it's almost never and if it is becomes prescriptive the moment it becomes prescriptive the vibe dies and everybody goes uh-huh. home when the guy starts right. actually talking in the middle of the set <laughs> right. or the preacher comes up it's yeah. immediate buzz kill the moment's right, lost the foreplay right. is done there's nothing uh-huh. and then you have to get the, the, the you're bumped from the universe it's all over when it becomes prescriptive you know uh-huh. and then if it get but, but then there's another edge to that because if that starts to work in a smaller crowd then you get those like high, you know i was thinking about it like some of them some of that goes into like you know how the hardcore and the straight edge all the way into the fsu mm-hmm. like where they get in fights and get narrow there's uh-huh. almost like a cult like um wings that it can become too mm-hmm. like when it when it becomes about something beyond too much beyond the music that gets weird fast you know uh-huh. so the fact that it's art is the non-prescriptiveness of it really that keeps it in that pocket i think There is a new, very interesting, exclusive episode for patrons of this show. If you join the Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash dancoke, link in the show notes. Uh, For five bucks a month, you get access to at least two of these exclusive episodes each month. And now that the regular feed has gone down to every other week, this is the best way to basically get an episode per week of this show, if that's what you'd like. Anyway... This most recent one is with my friend Jed Payne. 
He is a drug counselor, and he is the host of the podcast Church and Other Drugs. And ostensibly, we were supposed to talk about this uh, collection of apocalyptic writings called the Book of Enoch. It's basically from around the era that most of the Apocrypha was written. So it's the intertestamental period between sort of the end of the Old Testament writings and and the New Testament. And it has uh, all kinds of crazy stuff in it. And we, we did talk about it a fair bit, but we also ended up talking about supernatural, miracles, the resurrection, and uh, Jed and I have a lot of different perspectives on a lot of those things, which made for an interesting conversation. So if you want to hear that conversation or any others, or if you want to be a part of the You Have Permission Facebook group, which is for patrons only, head to patreon.com slash dancoke. There is a link in the show notes. Uh, And yeah, back to my conversation with Matt and Crispin. I want to bring this conversation to the present a little bit because I keep thinking about like, what's the outlier to this? And it is so striking because he is such an outlier and it's the skillet guy. Like he's kind of <laughs> I like, thought you were going to say yeah. five iron frenzy because they're also the outlier, but on the other end, but yeah, five yeah. iron, uh, I am on record. I'm on record multiple places as being a huge five iron booster and uh-huh. fan. But I'm thinking of like the guy from Skillet is like, mm-hmm. is he maybe, is he one of the only guys left that's still on that train and everybody else that had a chance to like do the Christian rock thing, they all found their way to either they left Christianity or they found their way to a different formulation of it and they're not the like God and country Trumpy mm-hmm. guys. Who else would have been on that list? Red? Who I else? mean- I don't know. Like, th- is the TFK guy yeah, uh, still? a booster for Trump and stuff? Oh, oh I don't know saying. this world very well. But like, he's the guy who's like anti-deconstruction, the skillet guy. He's yeah. like, yeah. he is he is the rare example. I have met. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear stories, which I won't I won't repeat because they are they're not public stories. But you hear stories about all the big CCM bands and what those people actually believe and how they act in their lives. And a lot of them are really like really good dudes, but it's like, well, if, if the label knew what they really thought, or, you know, it's like mm-hmm. almost like that is the trope. Now having spent years in that world, everybody moves on from mm-hmm. that, from that ideology. And like, so he's this like rare exception to that. And I wonder if there's something about like performing it for a number of years, everybody sees all the bullshit that's involved in it. It's, it is mm-hmm. actually unsustainable to sing a song every night about how I'm torturing God. Like you can't, you can't mean it after a while. Cause it, it becomes sort of on its face ridiculous after a while. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching. Well, there's just, that's to an audience without as much depth as all is all so that it just, it's more of a, it's more of a commercialized product and demographic right. thing. So right. it doesn't really bother its audience that badly as it would. But you know, Skillet so. started as just one of the one of the like right. interesting alternative mm-hmm. Christian rock bands. Right, but now but they're toward, top forty CCM. Yes, yeah, but but that but that that evolution is toward this this right. optimization optimization of those two things: the demographic yes. plus yes. the mm. music. It's not it's not attempting 
and from you know without crashing on it even i'm just saying it's not really attempting to do something new it's attempting to optimize for a couple of things right that's, and so yeah, that's good. and that that means a certain level of depth required mm-hmm. to to achieve that width. lack of depth required yeah, yeah. but width okay. is for about width not yes depth. width not depth right okay Crispin, what were you gonna say well i was gonna i was gonna ask you carter about where facebook records falls in this and i don't know if that is like if we're getting off track, but I will say that I've spent some time in there in the Facebook in the face down records fans, Facebook group. Uh And there's a lot of talk about like, you know, all these like metalcore bands, like they've gone through so many line change ups and they didn't last because they didn't keep proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a, um, that's a popular narrative to cater to for sure. Right. Like so that and, was and they were, yeah. they were like referencing, um, what's his face from skillet and, you know, as an example and, um, like he's and, rewarded for his steadfast. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and actually I listened to a, a an interview with Sean Jonas who was original or one of, you know, not, maybe not very original, but uh old Zayo vocalist who mm-hmm. was part of that spirit filled yeah. hardcore. And he, he was like driver of that, I think. Uh huh. And he still has that. Like, yeah, we need like very evangelical, like borderline fundamentalist approach. And um, so, yeah, it's really interesting to think about, like, you know, I think so many people that are listening to this are like in the like tooth and nail camp of like, you know, there's lots of different ways this can go, but I think there does still exist some little segment of people that are a remnant. That are, but but uh-huh. yeah, it's a remnant of something really, really awesome, though. Not that's not the same thing as the skillet. To mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. at right? All, yeah, I mean, it's it's like me. it's people that are like taking their like evangelical Christianity very seriously in a way yes. that's not, that's yes. not commercial. Yes. yes. Right. Yes. And also right. very different than where a lot of us are at that, as well. Joe, <laughs> Joe from beloved is, is, is basically that guy. He's just, you can't, you can't get a better person. And that's what I really think is there's something, and I don't know how to talk about it or what it is other than there's a certain type of people I think Sean Jonas is this type. I think that the uh, at Furnace Fest, Strong Arm played uh, the song, one Strong Arm song. And then mm. the guys from that band, when they talk from stage, it has that same tone, the same way as Sean Jonas. And to me, mm-hmm. it's super punk and it's super in your face and it's super, this is what it's about to me. So I'm going to have to let you know, even though it's probably a negative you but this is what i gotta say because this is what's real to me and you're about to hear it from me so i'm gonna do that right now and that's the spirit in all of this that people have is the one where they can't help but be be them however it looks is fine with us as long as you're really that that's fine you know what i mean so like i understand that point of view rock on yeah. but that's not playing to a demographic that's the it's almost the opposite whether or not they have the same point of view about a metaphysical thing or a you know a system that works mm-hmm. for them you know well i think this is a good time to sort of transition to carter your experience at furnace fest that's a fest that chad johnson formerly tooth and nail a and r used to run in alabama and they did this reunion uh this year and it was a massive success, and it was like something like 15 bands reunited to play it. Uh, it was really a—I mean, they're going to do it again, but it was—it's a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of a an event in terms of like the gravity 
yeah. uh, the gravitational pull of it. And I was very, very sad to not be there in person. Carter, you were there, Emery played, and you did a lot of interviews around it uh, mm-hmm. for the Labeled podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that experience and maybe tie it to whatever you can tie it to that we've been talking about, and we'll go well, from there. Well, it ties to me as just it's environmental design and high-trust environments. I mean, that's what things are all about. It's where the whole thing started is people opening up the Calvary Chapel or the getting the freaking basement, spending the money to let the just let these kids do what they're gonna do. Just let them, you know, and then making that space. And that's always been a sacrificial thing. That's what it's all. You have to. That's what it's about. You have to. That's the conditions under which things good that these types of things can happen um, organically without having to be top down. You know what I mean? You want them to be organic. These movements and scenes and stuff. So that's. But Furnace Fest really. Chad Johnson has that ethic from all the way back, and he's a missionary kid or whatever. And he's all, and the same we were talking about Sean Jones, whatever. Everybody's a true believer, though, in the whole scene. If anything's working, it's people that really, really believe, and sometimes too naively, and sometimes taken advantage of. But that's common. We're believers, like we believe that stuff, whatever we're doing. And so that's kind of different than if you go to OzFest for a festival or some other kind of festival. But Furnace Fest, that narrow demographic, I mean, I don't know how to say it, is good people that really care about stuff. Like, you know, they're, they're filtered down to these are the people that really do get it and care. And they act great if you don't over-police them or control them. <laughs> they'll act great if you get them together and, and design the environment right. And it'll be good and good things will happen. That's what it's. That's the, that's the main message of the whole. That's, that's, that's what I think is so good about it. But it was a great example of like the security was almost none. There's no problems. I mean, you, it just was the zero. It felt like something like zero egos compared to any other festival. I've been all over the world and, and mm. been to everything. But it, it was it was like it felt more free love like like it's just like a grateful dead type of movement gonna go out of here i don't know it's like something it felt more like that than even yeah. than then even cornerstone where it's like the other like even cornerstone had a more of a statusy air about this place and that place and mm-hmm. that it was less than even cornerstone of that so it was just pretty awesome you know and maybe it's lightning in a bottle with the pandemic and everything and just you know mm. it's a, there's no way it gets repeated in my view, like the other forces always creep in. When there's something special, now mm-hmm. you got commercialization and sure. not, now everything will creep right. in. So it'll be harder to manage from here is my guess. But, but I think the fact know. that it happened once is proof of concept of a lot of the stuff that you've been uncovering on the podcast about what did make this special. And mm-hmm. and maybe to tie two things together and, and let you jump in, Crispin, like I like how you're talking, Carter, about the organicness of it, like it basically flourished like how bacteria grows in wet, wet, dark areas. Like it flourished in like these just multi-use spaces that they let the Christian kids. Evangelicalism was able to believe enough in these kids to do this. I mean, and and honestly, there's a direct line there for all, for all my antipathy toward Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel. That was the innovation of Calvary Chapel was we are okay with the dirty hippies, the barefoot hippies coming into the sanctuary. If the other people are complaining that they're ruining the carpet, 
rip the carpet out and have bare and have hardwood floors. Mm-hmm. Whatever. That is now, unfortunately, he basically was a fundamentalist other than that. But <laughs> that innovation, that that paved the way for what you're talking about. The community center shows, the yeah. church basement shows. I grew up going to playing the scene we had. I'm we had an incredible scene in San Jose, California that 30 of those guys and gals are still close friends to this day. I'm sure that that happened in 50 cities in a hundred suburban areas across America. These bands played all these places. And like, so that did form something cool out of Crispin, this Mm -hmm. toxic theology and completely unsustainable worldview stuff that has mostly now gone away. Right, Carter? You you mentioned a yeah, few yeah, of yeah. these people who are still there. They're the outliers. So mm-hmm. I don't know, Crispin, get in here and talk yeah. to me about this well, tra- pr- trajectory. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the thing is that like it really was a place to be able to be authentic and be honest. And I think that part was in, in a, especially in a church context where emotions weren't allowed uh, you know, emotions are sinful emotion. Like you have to be, you just have to be joyful. And by the way, you've got receipts on those claims, yes. uh, in yes. those first couple episodes, I recommend uh-huh, people yeah. listen to those. Yeah. My yeah. friend Becky, Becky Castle Miller, she's coming <laughs> on to, uh, she's coming on to you have permission next year. I'm excited. Oh, good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cause she, she studied like, where do we get these messages from? And so, yeah. yeah, you really have this this safe enough space that people can, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I can go to this show. Like my parents won't let me go to this show, but like this is a Christian show, right? There are these, you know, I've heard, I, I just remember kind of through the years hearing things, these um, criticisms of Tooth and Nail for, you know, filtering certain things or putting some different. My favorite story is that Aaron Weiss had to change the line, I want to come and part your pink, your pink curtains um, <laughs> to white curtains. Whoa. And he was like, I didn't mean that at all. <laughs> so that's fine. <laughs> right? But that's my favorite. Sorry. But I think it actually was really important that there was this like fence that like yeah. parents wouldn't have let kids engage otherwise. And yet there yes. was still a ton of freedom to express yourself. And we really, we needed that in so many ways. Um, and, and I think that, there is that piece of like, this was a process. This was not, this was not like establishing a theology or a tradition, right? This was like, I think processing a lot of like, what have I grown up with? Where did I come from? You know, and even just like hearing some of the sort like showbread is a great example of like their story of like getting, you know, kicked out of their church for like playing DC talk covers and then like going into this like kind of hardcore punk thing. And I think like, that's a, just a great example of like, so many kids were just trying to process like, where do I come? Where did I come from? Like, what does this faith mean to me and who am I in as a person? And so for some people, it was like faith, some places it was like, okay, like, you know, I know as many people that are like, I didn't really care about the faith element at all, but like that was my background. And at least I could like listen to good music. Um, (laughs) And so I think it just fits so much that it that it was this place that really, you know, going to that attachment perspective place, like we need something to hold us in our experience and our emotions yeah. and for that to be okay. Yeah. yeah, for it to be okay, 
the way it is. It's a real, I mean, come mm-hmm. as you are uh, right. message. Uh-huh. And, and if you, what's really crazy, and if you can look it up or I'll send it to you, I don't know the timestamp, but I was looking at um, some tape of like Under Oath Dallas at Furnace Fest in 03 or 02. Okay. Uh-huh. And in the middle of the, in the middle, like it's the wild set, like it's barely, but there's people everywhere, but it's just like the band's not that great even yet, but you could tell where the energy is. Uh-huh. It's so immature. Yeah. And then some of it seems obligatory. Tim goes at, to the front at some point three quarters of the way through to say something because it feels like you got to say something and he uh-huh. gives the the obligatory message and he says it but if you really just look at that of how was he channeling that where was it coming from i really think it's a special moment it's very real and all it mm. is is that same message you heard every other time and i don't i mean i'm sure he hadn't thought it through or anything it's what everybody says every time but it's something along the lines of it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight if you did this or whatever you're here we're here together you're blah 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 it's just and it's mm-hmm. and it's it doesn't even it's just it seems completely obligatory but it isn't. It is just isn't. That's the but the reason you hear that trope over and over is because I think that's the the centrality of what it is. So it really kind of doesn't matter if you're even super dogmatically religious. If you can be here in this moment with us, that mm-hmm. that's something, and that's not centralized. You know, like that's mm-hmm. and that it's spread out. It's decentralized type of spirituality. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it's something really neat about that. Yeah. It's like acceptance. Like whether it is decentralized or not, though, it's all trading in the stock of what Durkheim called collective effervescence. Yeah. Yes, and exactly. The, the exactly. fact that corporate worship and whatever ended up basically just ripping off U2 concerts, I think is proof of this. Yeah. So I, I recognize the difference, Matt, between the decentralized and centralized versions of this collective effervescence. We're, we're all here and that's what matters. We're doing this unitive thing. But I think that they're tripping the same circuits in the brain for people. Yeah. And and maybe there are people for whom aesthetically they are turned off by the big corporate corporatized version of it. And there are people for whom that's what they prefer. But it's all doing that. It's all playing on our need as human beings for not only interpersonal one-on-one connection, but group connection. Yes, absolutely. It's about mm-hmm. connection is the yeah. – the way I look at it is that, like connection is the goal of the project mm-hmm. in- entirely. I think that's the point of all the music and every and to sing – like each – at every level, laterally, connection is kind of the point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean Jonathan Haidt says that we are like 90% chimp, 10% bee. And like, there's a part of us that like some of the time we just need to be in a big beehive. That's what we mm-hmm, want. We mm-hmm. want to completely lose our individual yes. uh, thing in the group. Uh, let's get real meta here. So Robert Bella, the late sociologist, uh, in his book, Evolution, Religion in, a, in Human Evolution, he thinks that religion predates language. So basically the building mm-hmm. blocks of religion are rhythmic movement and sound together in a group and mm-hmm. he thinks that we could physically we were able to do that before we had the modern tongue adaptations that let us do complex sounds like that allow human speech mm-hmm. before we have that we've got rhythmic moving chanting that kind of a thing it's collective effervescence it's being a part of the hive right and that's even before words right and those are things that we know create secure attachment Hmm. think about like all the way back right yeah 
Think about babies being rocked, being yeah. sung to, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. all the these things. And and then so I think about that. And then I think about what it means to be in a church setting. You know, I, I think that uh that kind of high church settings actually do this really well in terms of like it's not so much about the specific theology and it's a lot about like, we're kneeling together. We're standing up together. We're singing together. And there's a liter- liturgical calendar. Yeah. We know that like going to bed at the sa- same time every night um, actually creates secure attachment between you and your parents. Wow. And so you think about that sort of thing and then kind of like take a step back and be like, you know, what are ways that the liturgical can calendar can do that for people of providing that sense of safety so that just fits so much with what as you were saying that about like the like what is religion and and what are yeah. the yeah yeah we're systematic beings like i'm just tuned into systems just you know like that's mm-hmm. just kind of the way i look at i just look at things as systems anyway so collectivism is just kind of relatively natural viewpoint for me to, to, to just try to understand the environments I'm in. It feels like to me, they, that the constraints, so they, they have to be coherent and they have to, you need a methodology and that's what's so good about church. That's what's so good about everything is if you can access it because it's got these predefined constraints in it that can help you. Like it, that was one of the takeaways from Furnace Fest. There's not a lot of ways shows could go like they're designed this way as if it were designed for some reason but they kind of evolved to what the perfect show is if you have the people on side stage or playing their part like that's part of the show you see them there's the this or that the pit's always Mm. where it's got to be like if you have a show that's clicking on all cylinders the mood is down the sun just went down the sound Mm. is doing what if everything's doing its function you can't argue with it Mm-hmm. And it's, it isn't like somebody doing something awesome. Like it's not one person doing something awesome. It's infinite perspectives operating as one thing in a moment. And some of those Furnace Fest shows just had all that focus and energy that was real. Everybody's focus. It wasn't on like drinking or being trying to do this or going home. Everybody was so present. The yeah. tension was so strong that it was undeniable what was right and wrong to do. It wasn't, it was like, and you would know that the set's about to be awesome that you're going to hear. It's like, they couldn't have played badly. Like that couldn't have screwed it up at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, cause it was just the hole was there. And the bands that are in that, they report <laughs> very plainly out of body. You know, that's what they say. Wow. It's like, well, yeah. it doesn't, I couldn't, I didn't see anything. I didn't remember anything. It just, it just yeah. happens. So yeah. it's just, it's pretty, you know, it's, you don't get that on the Tuesday night show sometimes. Like you don't get all the cylinders firing. You go to some shows and you feel like, right. man, they played the best they could. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't always no, I, get it. It makes me think of one of my very favorite Sherwood shows we ever played. We we came up against some kind of curfew because it was at a church, a rare, it was just like a venue that the church put on. And so we stayed and did like four songs unplugged sitting on the edge of the stage <laughs> acoustic and just like, you know, transcendent experience. Yeah, exactly. And it was not the way the show's supposed to go. Right. But one thing that I want to I want to tie some threads together here with this recent experience of Furnace Fest, because one thing that strikes me is that this scene, first of all, I thought it would die. Like I I assumed that like, okay, these all these bands, we can't just keep doing this like this is not we have to go become adults or whatever. Yeah, You thought you were just goofing off doing the unserious thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But. But here's what gratifying depraved right. Dan just trying to play for longer. Exactly. Just trying <laughs> to be a kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then eventually I'll need to become a worship leader. Yeah. Um, right, right. But, exactly. But the scene starts out 
as I understand your reporting, Carter, it starts out very intentionally from a faith-centered perspective. So the adults who are facilitating this stuff, they are people who came out of the Jesus movement. Yes. And it's it's very intentional. We're going to give these kids this space. We're going to start these labels to produce the stuff that these kids are making. And it's very faith-based. Now, fast forward to 2021. Most of these bands now are out of that stream of evangelicalism or they're out of Christianity altogether. And yet Furnace Fest and all the friendships that you and I have with all these bands that we toured with and have, we've met over the years and released records at the same time, the friendships are there and the cooperation was still there. The it has yep. It jumped the shark of that. It, it, ha, it grew beyond that intentional evangelical space that it started as. And now the people we've been talking about who are still there are the outliers. They are interesting because they're different. And yet it's this really beautiful thing that it's, it has managed to survive and actually tolerate much more difference than the remaining evangelical church is able to tolerate, which is almost no difference. And I don't, I don't know if Mm. either of you guys have thoughts about that. I think that's so interesting. It'll definitely survive. There's just no doubt about it because it's the combination of formative identity experience in both people's, uh, you know, music's that way for a lot of people. And of course, a spiritual thing that you really adopt deeply between your time you're 16 to 25 as your brain finishes forming. Mm-hmm. That's you. That doesn't change. My parents dance to beach music forever and act like they, that's just right. them going to the Norma Jean show, I guess. And they remember it all the way back. <laughs> they're never going to, they would never stop doing that, you know, they're ne- and, or find some other music that they like. It's not going to happen, you know? So mm-hmm. that plus the spiritual, plus the connections, plus the enablement of the, you know, the technology, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. So to me, this is a, just a transition time to go from the mm-hmm. physical past into the mixed, you know, mm-hmm. future. Like, so it, you know, we're gonna we got to get this whole thing on the blockchain metaverse, right? That's just I, I mean, it, it's where it'll be. So. <laughs> yeah, I you know I think what part of the reason that it continues on is because of the specific being a part of that scene generally meant that you were unique in evangelicalism, right? Like you were an outsider in some way, and so I think then you can continue that even though. I'm totally different than I was 20 years ago. I'm still approaching this as like, oh, we're like, we're different. We're unique. We're, mm-hmm. you know, self-actualized. That can be problematic if it gets too like apolitical, I think. Um, <laughs> but there's this like, I think that's why it can continue on because it's not like it what it was not connected to the evangelical machine. So it's not the same thing as like when I go back and listen to Michael W. Smith records no, that I loved when I was a kid, but yeah. I know that he's supporting Trump, you know, like, yeah, I don't, it, it's like, oh yeah. Like I'm still like, there's this group identity of like, we're not connected to evangelicalism, even though obviously we all were. Yeah. Okay. That's an angle. That's a, an angle because what's been so crazy about the Trump moment, which is now Uh going on six years or so is that it turns out that it wasn't about the theology, but the unwavering message from every pastor, basically every youth group leader, whatever was, (laughs) this is about the theology. It is about the behavior Mm -hmm. of our lives. It is about honoring God with our lives 
And then it turns out to have been not about that at all because it was about these other things. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, the skillet guy still being on the Trump train makes sense, Carter, if what you're saying is that it's this package thing. It's not the same. And the and the people who were actually taking it seriously all the way back to your term of fervency, Crispin, right? Mm -hmm. Those people like we mm -hmm. followed in a sense, we all followed Jesus out of evangelicalism. Correct. And mm -hmm. the people who started these bands, we were the ones taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. And so we're still taking things seriously. And we are now mm -hmm. thinking about all this stuff. And the, the big mass of evangelicalism, the, the disgusting dead machinery rolls on, but it mm -hmm. never actually took itself as seriously as we took it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, that wasn't it wasn't as sincere, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we have the sincerity and the emo and the hardcore and right. the, that's sincere. You can't do it without being sincere. It's like method uh -huh. acting. You have to be it. You have right. to show it. You have is to do it. Is there a single is there? I, I would I would maybe put money on that. Not a single record was released by one of these labels that has Christian adjacent heavy bands in 2021. That is like pro Trump pro culture war on the right. I bet you there's not a single record mm. that was released. There are probably band members in bands there are that we'll see, but have conservative politics or whatever, I'm sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. But it doesn't, it wouldn't work. But it's not the defining thing because no. this whole thing, same as grunge, is it's a it's not about honoring God even. It's not that's not even what the effort was. It is rejection of the whatever both sides of sides. Mm. It's not about that. It's a include like it's the you can be here if you're eat whatever, but it's not about it's a rejection of radio rock and yeah. politics in the same way. It's just like, well, whatever's mainstream isn't for me anyway. So mm -hmm. it so it doesn't it's not about some it's like I, of course, I'm in. I'm a Christian. Of course, I. Of course, God's more important than my bank. Of course, all this stuff. But I, I it's a. It is a counterculture movement. So it's yeah. not. It, of course, it is goofy if it's on anybody's got any kind of platform. But it's just like it smells funny. And the farther you go on down any other like perversion of it, it just gets. You can. Mm -hmm. It starts to feel funny. Yeah. So, but it's mm -hmm. not. It's not that even aesthetic. It's just like. It's just. It doesn't matter that. But for sure, there's like a lot of conservative political people but they would lay that down to come play shows or play in their band totally. that doesn't matter yeah. it, it pales yeah. in comparison to important mm -hmm. but you there and the vaccine has actually you know there's i mean there's really really funny sto stories that are not public about bands and vaccines and stuff like that it's, there's I, hilarious I hilarious i imagine stuff. but hilarious. The, the kind of songs that like a lot of these CCM people have been like, I don't know if they've actually put them on albums, but they'll play them on Facebook videos and your parents will share them and stuff, you know, like Carmen mm -hmm. before he passed and like all these songs about Trump and America or whatever. Like right. uh -huh. that shit just does not play mm -hmm. in, in heavy music, even if you are politically conservative. It's just like yeah, it just the, it, there's something it inoculates you against a kind of a musical and cultural expression is now that so much of the specific movement that birthed our movement is caught up in. We inoculated ourselves against it by taking it, it's, by taking good, it seriously or right. something yeah. like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's really interesting to think about like the, I think part of it is like a distrust of systems, right? Which is part of punk and yet like not a distrust of God necessarily. And so right. I think that right. is like, 
because I, I think that's the like I know I know for me like if I was to look at this because I was trying to figure out like what was it about me that made me so quickly like affirming of LGBTQ relationships and I and what made me like a like reject Christian nationalism and like I think it's tied up in my history of tooth and nail and I think it goes further back like I'm a trauma survivor and so like knowing like I don't trust like the system says this like everything's okay but I know it's not okay and I'm gonna listen to the voices of like marginalized people and I think that like, I'm not saying that that tooth and nail on its head was like super progressive, but I think that there, the elements were there of like, we're going to give a microphone to these voices and we're not going to like filter it. We're not going to police it. We're not going to like, you can say what you want to say. And I think like that piece of it, like sets us up, then set me up further down the road to be like, oh yeah, like it's mm-hmm. Like to diverge from Trumpism is like no big deal. I've, for one, I'm a millennial, but for two, like, yeah, like this is, this has been the story of my whole life. And yet somehow like still taking Jesus very seriously, which is kind of interesting. Like, why don't I distrust Jesus? I'm not the, sure. The punk thing is the people <laughs> is punk. The punkness of it has to do something with nothing to lose. Like if you're already right. not included, Mm-hmm. Okay, then I can at least something, but I'm not a nihilist. Good Lord, I'm going right, to be a worship yeah. leader one day if I can ever get my shit together. <laughs> but you know, but I know I'm not included over there, so I don't have much to lose. I'm ever get a tattoo or say the bad mm-hmm. word or like, who cares? Right. I mean, that's and so you you know you, that's I think that's the where it goes. But it's like it's still positive. I still like mm-hmm. it's still optimistic people, like people that believe stuff. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a you really neat cultural pocket. I think, yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. What a fun-ass conversation. Mm-hmm. It went better than I even thought. Um, l- let me just give you a chance to sort of plug what you're working on uh, these days. So if people want to check it out. So, Crispin, let's start with you. Yeah. So I am uh, with my wife, D.L. Mayfield. We do the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast and finished up the Shame Core Records, which was a look at the, you know, what can we understand about the psychology of evangelicalism by looking at uh, heavy Christian music lyrics. And it was so great um, because I am publishing a book on attachment and God in February. So that's coming out. You can be on the lookout for that. It's called Attached to God. But what was so fun about this podcast series was like, I get to take all this like research that I'd done for the book in psychology and be like, all right, now let's look at 16 year old Crispin listening to like Zayo and Norma Jean and Emery and, uh, you know, like put those pieces together. So um, if you've been resonating with this conversation, hop over there and, and listen a bit. So I highly, rec- I highly recommend both of these gentlemen's uh, podcasting efforts to you listeners. Um, Matt, what are you working on? Um, what I'm working on is since Bad Christian, w- since we lost Joey and have been re- trying to figure out what we're doing and what's next after that project where we thought we were going to fix church or something <laughs> like that, like we've been through <laughs> most of that experiment and to be where we are now with a totally deconstructed and a reconstruction space and trying to 
just manage all the brands we've had, we've been able to kind of consolidate what is most important and the values and things of this, asking questions, being curious, being those outsider type people that are trying to do something positive, but not, you know, it's a narrow line to walk. And I, I call the, all those people knuckle breakers. That's just taken from an Emory lyric. So in, in walls, the song. So we, and the knuckle breakers is a community that's overlapping with the labeled community and the furnace fest community. And we're trying to do stuff like, we sent a crew to Beloved's hometown show and captured that and are going to do full audio multicam mix and shot stuff and turn that into something like a digital concert that you could probably sell as a ticketed event, but it's going to be free to, to bring that event to everybody. So just doing special things like that is the point of our community bonus stuff. Try to, you know, whatever it is, it's just putting, trying to serve a community and figure out how to keep making things that tell its own story and stuff like that. So we're doing different stuff in that. So it'll be a YouTube channel and we're going to do a bunch of other types of media. This We just have the itch to do more than just Emory or just the Bay Christian Podcast. So we'll always be trying new media things that you know, figure out how they work as we go. But right now, that's Knuckle Breakers a community. Um, so that's just Something to be aware of, no, no real call to action to it, other than you could join it, I guess. Hell yeah. Thanks to Josh Gilbert for editing our conversation. Uh, there'll be links to that stuff that they just talked about in the show notes. Patreon.com slash Dan Coke for five bucks. You can get access to the Facebook group and at least two exclusive episodes per month. Thank you guys so much for being here. See everybody right in a couple weeks. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, Dan.